Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Up there? Yeah. Yeah, I love how he says that they, it sums up the law and the prophets. If you look at even just the Ten Commandments as like a baseline for for us as people, the the first five of the Ten Commandments is really about loving God. Like you will have no other gods before me. Uh, you will love the Lord, or the, you know, it says I can't remember all of them because you know we just don't know the Ten Commandments very well. But then the the last five is very much about what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we followed those rules of loving our neighbor as ourself, man, like those those simple things of like the personalized sins that the church always seems to focus so readily on would be kind of understood in that way. What's the what's the thing we always asked in youth group? How far is too far? <laughs> that was always the thing that was asked, at least in my youth group. Obviously, maybe I went to a different kind of church. But there was that thing like, well, what is it? what does it look like to actually love another person in everything I do? Well, how am I loving that other person in my behavior, in my choices, in what I'm taking from them or giving to them? How is that loving the people that they will be with someday, the spouse they will have? How am I loving their future spouse in this relationship. All of it is contained in that perspective. Uh, the teachers of the law that we read about here, and in, in, the, in the NIV it says one of the teachers of the law came. Uh, the version that Megan read was one of the scribes came. A teacher of the law or a scribe was someone who knew everything theological about the law of Moses. So we've got like the Ten Commandments that I just said, but there were actually 613 commandments in the Law of Moses. And the, the Law of Moses was, Moses was given to God's people from God and then through Moses. And these, these laws determined how the people of Israel lived. If you look throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Torah, you would begin, you would begin to see all of these different laws. So it determined how they lived their lives. But how to interpret those laws were a little bit more complicated. Like one of the laws would have been on Sabbath, keep the Sabbath day holy. Well, what does it look like to actually keep it holy in today's context? So the scribes, these teachers of the law, their entire job and passion in life was to give interpretations to each of these laws for the context and their time and their place. A lot of them were complicated. They would come together. They would debate it back and forth. What is it that we are going to bring to the people about these laws? How do people follow God's law today? And they would debate it. They would converse about it. And then whatever they determined or whatever they decided on would be passed along to the priests or to the Pharisees or to the Sadducees or to the other temple leaders. And then there, there, there were rabbis during that time. Rabbis are, uh, are different teachers that had more of a smaller context. They were more rogue in the way that they taught. So they would have their own group of disciples. Jesus was considered a rabbi as well. So the scribes' laws would be passed down and filtered down into the, into the, the rabbis. And the rabbis would like add their own little twists to whoever they're, they're really uh, working with. But there was this hierarchy of wisdom and truth, and the scribes were at the very top. 
Throughout the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, what we've seen is any time that it says scribes or Pharisees or teachers of the law or uh, the, the religious leaders or the wealthy elites, most often when Jesus encounters people like this, he's encountering them in a way that they are trying to catch Jesus in error. They're trying to prove him wrong. They're trying to trap him in some way. But not all of these types of people were opposed to Jesus, including the person that we just read about. You look at Zacchaeus, who was a wealthy person. He was somebody who was not opposed to Jesus. Or you look at uh, Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. He approaches Jesus in the dead of night. In John, that's where we get like the John 3.16 passage. This is somebody who was open and curious about Jesus. There's, a, there's Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy man who, who had an extra tomb, or not an extra tomb, it was his family tomb, and he gave it to house Jesus' body in after Jesus was crucified. Everywhere you go, there are people who are convicted of God's ways, and their conviction of God's ways will cause them to go against the status quo of power or political or religious party for the sake of the gospel. And this scribe that we just read about is one of those people. The scribes were known for their desire to constantly debate, So it's no surprise that Jesus would be brought into another question uh, by another temple authority, um, except this one was so different. It wasn't taken on with hostility. It It didn't have the air of an entrapment on it like so many other people. Because this scribe approached Jesus with curiosity. He was someone who was open to what he could learn from another person. Someone who didn't arrive to Jesus with all the answers already in his pockets, and someone who didn't, couldn't hear another person's perspective because they felt like they didn't have anything else to learn, this was someone who instead was willing to engage with humility and with curiosity. So turn with me back to verse 28 here in Mark 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important. So he gave him a good answer. So that that harkens back to last week's passage about the marriage at the resurrection. And we looked at at that pretty extensively with Haley. Uh, But basically the man is saying like, Jesus, you just finished working through a story about the afterlife about resurrection, about marriage after death. And you said at the very end, if you look at verse uh, verse 27, it says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So this man's like, you just said that God is a God of the living. So Jesus, what does it mean for us to be alive today? What does being alive look like? What does it mean that we're meant to do with our lives? And Jesus answers... You are to love God with all your passion and fervor. Like with all your emotions, every emotion within you, you are to love God with. You are to love God with your soul, with your prayer-filled spirit, within your gut, like within the essence of who you are and how you connect deeply with the Holy Spirit. 
You are to love God with all of your intelligence and all of your mind, with how your brain is uniquely wired, with each synapse, with each neuron, with each lobe. You're meant to love God with that mind, that beautiful mind. And you are to love God with all your energy, with all your strength, with your body and your abilities and your talents, with your gifts and your stamina. Because God is not a God of the dead, but of the living. You are alive, and life is a great gift from God. So love God with your whole life. What Jesus is saying here, this this passage, is actually a very common passage during that time. For him to say this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, would have been something that was very familiar to the people there. This was uh, from a, the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. It was a prayer called the Shema. And devout Jews prayed this prayer morning and evening every day. Still do. And the prayer is, as we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. They would have these uh, little containers that they put on their doors, devout Jewish people. And in the container, it was a piece of paper that had this verse written out in it and put into that little container. And every time people would go through the door, they would touch it and be reminded of the Shema. Devout Jews still today, they they have this little piece of paper that they roll up and they put in little uh, leather pouches that they put around their arms or around their forehead to be reminded That the Lord is one. That God is God alone. That all of our attention, all of our perspective, all of our reality of life needs to be focused on God first. That we love God first. And for the ancient Israelites, growing up in a world where they were surrounded by different nations and different tribes, they were most often occupied by different nations and tribes, There were so many different gods around them. And so this was the constant reminder that there are a plethora of gods to choose from. There is only one God that you should be focused on. God and God alone. During the time of Jesus, the people were occupied by Rome. There was this constant reminder. They would need the Shema as a constant reminder because Rome had their own Roman gods, a lot of different ones, but the main god of Rome was the emperor. So every time they were spending their money, the emperor's face, the god of Rome, was stamped on their currency. The god of Rome had taken over their land. So the Shema was of utmost importance for them at that point, but it still is of us for us today, right? Man, you guys, like we've got a lot of gods around us, don't we? The God of our age, the God of America, is oftentimes wealth and power. We bow down to money and influence. The God we pay homage to in so many ways in our country and and around us is, is influence, is power, is greed, and often at the cost of the marginalized and poor. And this is why Jesus goes on to say the greatest commandment is also to love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe you don't love yourself very well. I think in the church we do spend a lot of time saying, well, how do we love our neighbors if we can't love ourselves? 
I mean, we're, but oftentimes when we think of loving ourselves, I don't know about you, but I'm always like, I got to do more yoga or I just need to meditate more or whatever it is that like, cause I'm just too busy or too overwhelmed with different things. So loving myself would be self-care and, and the way that we learn self-care is from the magazines at the co-op or whatever it is, which that's a different sermon for a different time. But I don't think that this is what Jesus is talking about necessarily. I think it's true we are very critical of ourselves in a way that we oftentimes believe the worst about ourselves. I don't need to tell you how wrong that is, how much God desires to rend that thinking out of our minds. I don't need to tell you that that those are deceitful lies because I think most of us already know that. But I will say that when Jesus was declaring to that the greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus wasn't necessarily expressing negative self-talk. I think Jesus was expressing the fact that you would never allow yourself to go hungry. You would never allow yourself to work in a slave-like condition where people abused you or took advantage of you just so you could make ends meet for your family. You would never go without showering or laundering your clothes, most of us in this room. You wouldn't live in the projects or raise your kids in generational poverty or among racist landlords who keep hiking up the rent at unaffordable prices. When we think of like what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves, oftentimes we get in these like sorts of spaces where we think, well, I would never, I would never for myself, I would never have some sort of hidden illness all of a sudden start to bombard me or mental illness take over my mind. That was not, I would never. I'd never not know English and how to communicate with my kids' teachers or my boss who keeps threatening to fire me and pays me under the table because I'm undocumented and then holds the pay from me. I would never. I would never flee my home country in desperation for safety or security or hope. Loving our neighbor as ourselves isn't just about loving the people that make you frustrated and angry. It's that, absolutely, but it's not just that. It's not just about loving our actual neighbors who live next door to our homes. It's that, but it's not just that. Jesus' call for loving our neighbors as ourselves is a call for justice. There is no guarantees in our life. There's no situation that we can try to avoid in our way. And and we can always say, well, I would never. But most people in spaces of injustice or oppression would never want to either, you guys. I think this is why throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, God says, you guys, look to the foreigners in your midst. Care for the foreigners in your midst. Because remember when you were in Egypt? Don't forget Life could go sideways for you, too. Learn to love each other well. Love each other well. And loving our neighbor as ourselves is a call for justice. It is the golden rule of treating people how you would want to be treated. And it means that we fall on our knees before God, and we ask God to give us eyes to see who isn't being loved around us. It's saying, God You are asking me to love somebody tangibly, specifically, in a real way today. Who 
are you asking me to love today? But you guys, be prepared. (laughs) Be prepared because when you pray that, like when you are asking God, who is my neighbor? Who am I meant to love as myself? God will answer you. God will put someone specific in your mind. God will put a situation on your heart. God will have an injustice in your mind that you are asked to respond to. The minute you pray for it, I guarantee you, that person's face, that family down the street, that area of injustice, the prison industrial complex, whatever it is will get into your brain. And it's, I, I'm sorry, I got no control over that. But man, when we pray those things, God is willing to move in our lives in radical ways. And we are not on our own. This is not something that we do on our own. It's not through our own strength or our own courage or our own uh, ability to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is something that comes from the Holy Spirit of Christ who lives within us. Moving through us, empowering us, the Spirit of Jesus will give you that strength and that courage. Jesus is with you, will guide you, and you're never alone in your love for your neighbor because we are also your neighbors. This room is full of neighbors. We are called to love each other well. We do it pretty imperfectly a lot of times, but we are called to love each other well as neighbors. And when we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are retelling the love of God. It is a love retold because loving God is loving people and loving people is loving God. Such a good, a really good question. Yesterday we had the Enneagram retreat and we sat in Romans 12. So why don't you turn with me to Romans 12 really quick because I feel like that is something that can bring some context to our question of like, how do we love everybody? Yeah. How do we do it all? How are we, I mean, it feels, it feels paralyzing sometimes. I get it. So it says here, and I'm just going to read it, and then we'll just let it sit for a minute. Uh, Romans 12, it says, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So that, I feel like that is like, I don't know about you, but I grew up in in an evangelical community that was very much about like, we have to save the world, and it's all on you to save the world and to evangelize the right way. And I think that this is important because I feel like we oftentimes see ourselves as more highly, like we have... Like we are the saviors instead of pointing people to the savior. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 
And I think what I see here is that we all have different gifts and different abilities, and God has a different neighbor on each of our hearts. And the neighbor that your friend has might be a different neighbor that you have. But that doesn't mean we don't pray for each other and care for each other and build each other up in that way. But we're not on, we're not on our own in this. You're not alone. Yeah. All right. On that, turn with me to 1 John 4, which is in the back of the Bible. It's like one of the very last books. It's super, super small. There's three, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So it's hard to find. Uh, 1st John 4. Because I think that one of the things that we are called to do as people of God is that we are meant to practice love for our neighbors within the community, within this church. It needs to start here. So uh, First John will read verses uh, 19 to 21. It says, We love because God first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Ah. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. You guys, we love because God first loved us. Like the commandment to love God with all your being and to love your neighbor as yourself is only truly realized when we actually become receivers of God's love first. Throughout the Gospels, what we see is, is that we see Jesus inviting people into a sort of spiritual poverty. So it, the, the, one of the first Beatitudes is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Real poverty, real poverty is actually a form of injustice that we are called to help undo in this world. But when you are so poor, you don't know where your next meal is coming from or that you're living, you're living in a state of, of pure humility, asking people for help, fully reliant on the charity of those around you. There is a, there's a sort of humility that comes from that. So spiritual poverty is not a form of injustice. It's actually a posture of the heart. It's when you recognize your own bankrupt life and your own full need for God's love to rescue you from the destruction that you keep doing to yourself and and, and to those around you. Spiritual poverty is a humility of the heart. And when you begin to recognize how you need God's love for you, you then become a receiver of God's love. And you become filled with God's love, overflowing in a way that you just can't quite keep to yourself. And instead of beginning to see your neighbor as a nuisance or a problem to avoid, spiritual poverty brings about a sense of empathy in your life. And you need God's love. You need to actually be a receiver of God's love to see your need for God's love because when you do that, you it creates this sense of empathy towards your neighbor in the first place. Jesus changes the posture of our hearts, the position of our minds, the character of our souls, and the integrity of our strength 
so you can possibly love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And I wonder in this passage back to Mark, if you guys want to go back there again, I'm just pushing you all over the Bible today. But it's that Mark Mark 12, uh, in verse 34, after the, the scribe had answered him, Jesus said, When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. I wonder if Jesus mentioned that the scribe wasn't far from God's kingdom because he was becoming close to becoming a receiver. The, the, the scribes were people who had a lot of disposable income. They were very wealthy. They had huge influence over every single person around them. They were very well respected. And from the outside, it seemed like from most of the people looking out, looking in, that, this, that these Jewish men probably had everything they would ever need to have a good life. Last week, Haley talked about uh, a life that goes beyond the good life and that goes into the abundant life where life circumstances and wealth and influence or poverty and destitution, it doesn't determine your response to life because of the abundant life that begins when a person has that relationship with Jesus. And the posture of our hearts actually shift when we praise God in the midst of difficulties. So the scribes, this, this scribe specifically in this story, I think he was close to that abundant life of God's kingdom in the midst of his current life. And I wonder if it simply takes that spiritual bankruptcy of the heart, that desperate need for God's love to allow us to then turn the words of loving God and loving our neighbor into action Instead of just knowing the truth and debating the truth and having the right answers for the truth like the scribes did, we are actually called to then live out that truth. And this new receiving heart posture that Jesus wants to give us moves us into living out the truth of loving God and loving people. And I think one of the most tangible ways that we can love our neighbors as ourselves is modeled through this scribe. I think that the way that he approached Jesus is one of the most tangible ways we can love our neighbor. Because the way he approached Jesus was with a heart of curiosity. He was curious. Curiosity changes us from the inside out. And we are meant to be curious about another person about an area of injustice and curiosity allows us to go deeper into each other get to know each other better to it gets to us to hear each other's pain yeah curiosity i believe curiosity is the prompting of the holy spirit and we have to pay attention to those prompts when they come our way. And sometimes it means that we practice listening to each other, it means that we practice paying attention But man, those prompts are there. When we look around this room, there's actually quite a lot of people here today. Uh, More than usual, I think. But I know, it's it's beautiful. But but when we look around this room, I, I would say that most of us don't know much about each other. Like we we're a small community. And, and some of us know each other's names, but a lot of us are are too embarrassed to ask each other's name again because we've asked too many times. I, I know that. If I ever give you communion, I'm like 
the body of Christ broken for you, brother or sister. It means that your that your that your name is like just gone. <laughs> it's just gone. <laughs> I hope it is. No. I no, but but really, but really, like we should know more about each other. And I know that it's so hard. There's so many insecurities. We're we're more like uh, what is the word? There's extrovert and oh introvert. A lot of us are introverted people for sure. I get it. But we should know each other by now. We will only learn to love each other if we stay curious about each other and if we're willing to actually learn from each other. So I want you guys just to learn to ask questions. Learn to stay curious. Simple questions, just to get it started, like, um, where are you from? You guys, a lot of people in this room are not from Humboldt. Y'all probably moved here at one point or another. So then the question is like, what was the hardest adjustment for moving to Humboldt for you? What is the hardest adjustment of staying in Humboldt for you if you grew grew up here? What do you love about your job? What's the hardest part of your career? Who was someone who influenced you to begin working in that field in the first place? Simple questions. You don't need to ask, like, what was the hardest part about childhood or, you know, things that are really, really deep right away. But just those things, just to get to know somebody in that, in that simple sort of way. Being curious about someone is so important to get to know them as an actual person. Because when we are curious about a person, we see them as an actual person instead of an abstract problem. And we have to start here. We have to love each other well here. We have to reveal God's love to each other here. And then from here, it flows out to there. So instead of seeing a problem or an area of pain or injustice or seeing big words like racism or classism or corruption that feels sometimes paralyzing in many ways, you can begin to see a real person loved by God and loved by you. So stay curious because you might just learn something and you might find that you're not that far from God's kingdom. You might find that Jesus is actually reshaping the posture of your heart, the position of your mind, the character of your soul, the integrity of your strength, so you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you can love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes during worship, the thing that we can do is actually create a physical posture for that heart posture of receiving. When we open up our hands and worship, instead of closing ourselves off, we become receivers of God's love for us. When we stand, we become open. And there's sometimes when I worship and all I can do to worship is literally like like be on my on the floor, like all closed up. And I think that that is a form of worship too. But just opening up your hands a little bit Recognizing that it's not our strength or our gumption or our will that causes us to move and breathe and live in this world. It allows us to receive God's love and then we become conduits of that love out into this world. 